0: Welcome back to Crazy Faith Talk, I'm Erica,
1: I'm Sarah, and I'm Steve. So we have been doing this very short series where each of us tells a really exciting story from our ministry. So Erica started by telling about how she was once almost a chaplain for a roller derby team. I talked about a time that a wolf made me almost late for worship. And now today we are going to hear from Steve, and we're so curious because he has not told us hardly anything about this story. So we're going to be as shocked as you, dear (laughs) listeners.
2: Well, I would like to tell you about the time I crashed a wedding in Mexico City. Um, (laughs) uh, And in fact, this story predates any official ministry, but um, something powerful uh, that affected my ministry uh, happened there. Um, So um, let me set the scene, um, because even though it sounds like an exotic a place for a story. I am a nerd and a wallflower, and so I was not doing anything cool in Mexico, exactly. <laughs> I was in high school in um, 10th grade, and our... High school Spanish teacher, uh, had set up a trip to Mexico for any Spanish, stu- uh, st- like language students, uh, at our high school. And with a group of maybe, I don't know, a, a dozen or two dozen high school Spanish students, we took a trip that was going to take us to spend, I don't know, a few days in Mexico City and then down the Yucatan to Merida and to, um, Cancun and a couple of spots along the way, um. And when we got to Mexico City, um, most of my fellow traveling classmates who were cool would want in the evenings to go out to, you know, uh, restaurants or clubs or where they could go dance or something like that. And I, um, this will be a major revelation to both of you, I'm a nerd, um, <laughs> and did not go to do any of the cool kid things, but are. Uh, We happened to be in Mexico City on a Saturday evening, and our um, Spanish teacher, who was one of the chaperones, uh, and one of the adult other adult chaperones who was on the trip, they said, we were right there in downtown Mexico City, and she said, "Um, well, I am interested to see what uh, a local uh, worship service is like at a nearby church. They happened to look in the newspaper, and they saw that there was a... Uh, church not far obviously Roman catholic church uh and um she had read the times in the newspaper and she said it's a simple walk from the hotel and was anybody interested and the nerd was interested yeah i'll go along uh and of course i had gone i packed for this trip with american gringo tourist clothes you know so like you know i've got you know a bunch of t-shirts and shorts i, I was not anticipating church at all wasn't anticipating anything formal at all um But I put on my nicest high school tourist (laughs) outfit and Teva sandals. And we walked to the... church, and as we got there, I mean, it's right in the midst of the city, so there's big buildings and things all around and there's this big stone church there and as we got closer, we had left with enough time there was uh, you know, a few minutes, maybe 10-15 minutes before the service was officially to start and as we got there um, we hung back because on the steps there was a couple of bride and groom that was getting their picture taken there and we thought, oh how lovely, a wedding has just finished, and so we'll just stay out of their way and we'll hang back until they're done with all their pictures and then we will go inside for the service because the service clearly was printed in the paper that was going to start at such and such a time and so we stand and make weird small talk with each other and stand and twiddle our thumbs and the couple's getting more and more pictures taken and nobody's leaving and we see more and more people walking into the church so we're like something's got to be happening here and um, after two years of high school spanish I'm pretty rusty so it was our the the spanish teacher who goes and approaches one of the uh people hanging around outside and asking is there gonna be a mass here coming up here soon and the person gives this weird look and says yeah there's gonna be a mass here pretty soon and so we're like oh well good okay we're fine we'll we'll just sneak in right now and get around in between pictures and we'll sit in the back row um because even though they weren't lutheran that's just sort of what we do sit in the back row <laughs> um so we go in and we sit in the back row and the 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 nave of this church was packed with people and they were all dressed beautifully impeccably suits and dresses and all this sort of thing and We're like well we feel a little bit bad that here we are in tourist clothes but we're tourists and hopefully they are okay with you know um Visiting tourists, uh, sitting in their sanctuary. We're sitting in the back room. Nobody will notice anyway because we're sitting in their very back pew. So it's paid off. We're sitting in the back pew. We sit down. And then the wedding march starts. Because the mass that was about to start was this couple's wedding <laughs> mass. And so while the question, are you having a mass here, was technically the correct. correct question to ask, and they technically did answer correctly, they did not answer, yes, the we- the, med- the, the the wedding mass, or the, the mass that's about to happen is this couple's wedding, and you were not invited. So we were there in the back pew, and for an instant I was like, it'll be fine, we're in the back pew, but it's a wedding, and the bride's at the back, so everybody turns around and <laughs> stares at these... Three painfully white Americans um, who are uninvited <laughs> guests at this wedding, and the bride and the groom walk around. and We're starting to get some weird looks from people who are like, "I don't think you're bride side or groom side." <laughs> right. um, and people were as gracious as they could be in that, in that like, at no point did anybody usher us out. Um, but we sat through there, and um, I, having had only two years of high school Spanish, couldn't follow. All- virtually any of the service at all, except um, there was a moment when the priest says uh, to everybody, um, La Pazzo said, peace be with you. And everybody turns to share the peace with one another. And uh, so here are these total strangers whose (laughs) wedding I have crashed, (laughs) who turned to me, the complete total stranger who doesn't belong and has... Crash this wedding, um, and they extended a hand to me and to the Spanish teacher and to the other adult there, uh, and they exchanged the peace with us as well. La paz usted, er la paz usted, er And um, we shared the peace with one another in that place, even though clearly I didn't belong there, and yet they had spoken these words of welcome. The only words that I knew or understood from that service were, Peace be with you. Um, And uh, as much as it's funny just to say, let me tell you about the story of when I crashed a Mexican wedding, Um, what has stayed with me was the capacity for these people um, to be hospitable when I was the outsider, and Mm -hmm. when I was the one who clearly didn't belong at any level, language-wise, dress-wise, family-wise, there was no... I wasn't even Catholic. (laughs) Um, There were all sorts of reasons why I shouldn't belong, and yet... Uh, when it came time for extending the peace of Christ, they said, la paz a usted, peace be with you. Um, and that drew forth, uh, peace be with you, la paz a usted, back to them as well. Um, so that is the story of the time I crashed a uh, wedding in Mexico. That
1: is fantastic. Um, so at any point did, it, I'm assuming the high school Spanish teacher who could speak, more fluently than others um, get to apologize to the bride and groom In, or somebody to just feel like, hey, we're so sorry, we just thought that this was a regular weekend mass.
2: In my <laughs> recollection, we just got out as quickly as possible <laughs> when it was done. Um, and we realized there was no way to make it better by apologizing. It was just like, Okay, they did not kick us out. Let's get while the getting's good and when it's time to go and we disappear. Um, so, yeah, I, I did not get the chance either to say thank you for sharing the piece with me or to say I'm just an American. Please forgive me for being an American. Um, but um, the, uh, the, I, I don't remember us having the opportunity to explain our presence there. Uh, we just left when it was, when it was done.
1: That's
2: fair. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if I had it to do over again, and I've I've often thought like, okay, if I if I had that moment to do over again, and if I would have had a better command of Spanish, would I have said something different? Or if I had not been uh, such a, a cowardly nerd, would I have afterwards said, who can I apologize to? <laughs> I I don't I don't know I don't know what there what was a better way to to wrap that or bring that to a better conclusion than it ended. Um, but um i was i was grateful at least by the looks on their faces at the sharing piece that we weren't seen as a threat or an enemy we were just this weird <laughs>
1: outlier i guess we were just these tourists that wandered into right. the streets yeah you know,
2: you know, like and i was thinking about like how totally we were we were totally living into that stereotype americans who just think they belong anywhere we just <laughs> barge right in here we were barging right in <laughs> thinking we belonged anywhere
0: Uh, Having worshiped uh, in South America, now with Methodists, not with another denomination or anything, um, I have noticed how welcoming uh, Hispanics and Latinos generally seem to be in in the worship experience. Like, we were down there for a mission trip. That was obvious. Mm -hmm. Like, they knew why we were there. Um, We didn't just crash into (laughs) something. It was really bad (laughs) if you I wasn't on a vacation in Paraguay <laughs> and crashing someone's wedding, um, but just that, that hospitality that you experienced um, at that wedding, you know, with uh, all things considered, is something I have also experienced amongst that um, the Hispanic and Latino population, which is a beautiful thing, because sometimes in the American church, uh, you sit in the back pew, you're probably sitting in someone's pew, <laughs> and you're probably going to get a dirty look for sitting in someone's pew. Um, if you're the outsider that, you know, obviously that's not your, you're sitting in my seat. Why are you sitting in my seat?
2: And it, there's a piece of me that, that feels like, I, I don't know if the that, that dynamic now has vanished altogether from places. Because I know that people live with a different kind of fear now, especially in an age of, of mass shootings mm-hmm. where they happen on... Such yeah. a regular basis that they don't even break the, mm-hmm. they're, they're not the, the headline anymore. It's when it happens, mm-hmm. it's the, oh, in other news, there was a mass shooting now. Um, and I know that a lot of churches struggle with how do we deal with that. And I know churches that struggle with, and that part of their answer is, well, we'll just lock the doors so and nobody can get in once we started service. And it occurs to me, one, that if I had been in that spot, I wouldn't have been able to get in. Now, for mm-hmm. the couple, that would have been good news for them because <laughs> I was the one who was the freeload of crashing. Um but it it does it does something to turn the tables, you know. When when you frame the question as "What if an outsider is trying to get in?" And we don't want any outsiders into in? But it changed something when you're the outsider. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I, when when I, when I think about that one weird hour of my life, again, there are plenty of ways that other people have been made to feel much more the outsider in life than just the person sitting in a short sleeve button down <laughs> shirt and sandals in Mexico City like I was, but when i when i think about this experience i think about this story uh in acts chapter 8 um when there is this um ethiopian eunuch who is mm-hmm. heading down back home uh-huh. riding on his chariot. he's the uh advisor treasurer for the uh, the candace the queen of ethiopia and the holy spirit just plops philip right down beside and uh the uh, ethiopian eunuch is reading a copy of the scroll of isaiah he must be an important enough guy that he's able to get a copy his hands on a copy of the scroll of Isaiah. He's reading it and Philip starts talking to him about it and as he tells him about Jesus as well the Ethiopian medic the stops at one point and says, look, there's water over there. What's to prevent me from being baptized? Mm-hmm. And the answer should have been, well, there's a bunch of reasons why you shouldn't mm-hmm. be included, right? There's, well, you're the wrong ethnic group. You're mm-hmm. not Jewish. We haven't gone to Acts 15 yet where we're letting other people who aren't Jewish in yet. Got, You've got the wrong language. You're uh, headed the wrong direction. You're not going to be joining a congregation mm-hmm. back up here in Jerusalem. You don't fit the pattern sexually of someone who can have the 2.5 kids and the white picket fence like mm-hmm. that. That's not an option if you're the Ethiopian eunuch <laughs> um and despite the fact that there's a long list of reasons that Philip could have said well here's why you're not allowed or here's why you don't belong or here's why you are not mm-hmm. included here's why this welcome does not include you Philip's response is there's nothing that stops you there's no reason mm-hmm. you can't and he baptized him right there on the spot even though there's no record of this figure ever again to know well did his life all of a sudden, manifest in righteous deeds, or did he found a church? Or we know nothing else about him uh-huh. except at this moment he asked, "Does this include me?" And um, for someone who, in almost every way and every other moment of my life, has been afforded being insider status, you know, uh, uh-huh. being uh, a, about as much an insider and privileged person as is possible—the <laughs> um, the white, married, uh, college-educated, mm-hmm. middle-class sort of person. With 2.5 kids and a dog. I mean, like, like, there's an awful lot of that cookie-cutter life Mm -hmm. that, yep. Um, And that's not wrong or bad, but it is to say um, it is awfully easy when that's all you've known to assume that other people, when they ask the question, am I included too? Well, no, you don't fit the cookie cutter, so of course you don't belong mm-hmm. And For one brief hour in Mexico City, I was not the insider and I was painfully aware that I was not the insider and that there was mm-hmm. a long list of reasons why I should not have been included and why anyone would have been perfectly right to say, I'm sorry, this is not for you. There, there is no La Paz who said <laughs> for you you don't, you don't even speak the language fluently. Um, but where I was included in that moment. Um, and... Uh, i i can't I can't unlive that moment mm-hmm. so like that just like I think the church in Acts eight can't unlive that moment with the Ethiopian Eunuch that it made an important decision at that moment, to say even though we had a long list of reasons why you don't fit and you don't belong we, this is our policy you're welcome um and for two thousand years we've been trying to live with the ripple effects of meaning it seriously every time we meet somebody by the side of the road who says, I want to be a part of this, is this for me too um and uh, I, so that I guess that's why the story stays with me as much as it does, even though it is basically us misreading a newspaper.
1: <laughs> so when you introduced this story, you said it was before you were part of um, official ministry. Uh-huh. You know, you were a high school student, <laughs> but that it was part of the story before you know leading up to mm-hmm. ministry. Um, How did or did this rather fit into your call story?
2: Well, not I mean, not exactly. And like, and this is another part of my just. And I will completely wholeheartedly own the church nerdiness that goes about as far down the ground flooring me as there is. I was probably like in eighth or ninth grade when I started. Telling people that I was thinking about being called the ministry, um, and that I, like when people ask, "What do you think you want to be?" I, that was when I stopped answering architect and started, and certainly had left behind astronauts. You know, like <laughs> the childhood things. At some point, there was a brief period where I thought of ask architect. That sounds cool. Uh, but at some point, I can remember is around eighth or ninth grade that. I, and I don't exactly know why there was no like voice on the Damascus Road, um, but like that's that's where the the, the beginnings of that call mm. language began for me. So my head was already sort of pointed in that direction by the time I was in high school. So like when I was in high school, I was already thinking in terms of where can I go to undergraduate so I can take Greek so that then I can go to like so like I, like th- those are the number of steps I was thinking ahead. Mm. But um, what I what I think I gained from it was I had a real real small picture of what. Pastoral ministry looked like because it was pretty much limited to Sunday mornings in my mm-hmm. suburban church. Because I mean, I get it. Right. Cause that's anybody in high school is like, well, you assume that what a pastor does is the thing you see them do for an hour on Sunday morning, mm-hmm. and maybe once a week at youth group or something like that. And all that seemed cool. Yeah, I could, I I could. Uh, become interested in wanting to learn how to preach and lead music and worship and things like that. And I would like Mm -hmm. to watch movies with high schoolers and talk afterwards. And I would like to go on youth group outings. Yeah, that all seemed fun. Um, And I think in ways that I didn't appreciate at all when I was a 10th grade kid sitting in a pew in Mexico City, but in ways that since then I've looked back, um, realized how much that glimpse of an experience maybe began to, like... uh, push open a door that had not been open at all that I didn't even realize was there, maybe. So, like, um, that. there is the beginning in that moment for me of, of the experience of what's it like when you are the outsider and uh, asking to be welcomed or asking mm-hmm. to be included. And um, I don't think 10th grade me understood any of that. They just thought, 10th grade me thought it was a funny, silly story. Um and uh, probably was just wanting to get back to the safety of my hotel room and find uh, an American um, sitcom on television that was overdubbed in Spanish. Um, But since then, like, that experience has stayed with me in ways that, like... um, never quite worked themselves out of me like you know like like a splinter that you can't quite ever pull like Mm -hmm. it's it's there it's it's embedded and still keeps working on me in ways that um i can't quite control so i guess i think that like it's one of those things that i look back and go like something something began to happen there that um it was not like a john wesley aldersgate experience or in the moment i was like yep this is god calling me no Mm -hmm. it was more like that was weird and then only in time looking back and go huh what what could I have been learning or what can I learn now from what I went through in mm-hmm. that moment so I guess I, it, it's retrospectively become a part of how I see what ministry is or something I, I can't forget when we think about what ministry looks like
0: you know Steve you, you talked how you were the outsider in that moment and how you're like the epitome of American privilege you know being a white married male you know um, and, and I wonder sometimes in our culture in, in a I don't wonder if it happens. I know it happens. We forget how privileged we are. We forget what it's like to be the outsider. And, you know, I've been in churches both as a layperson and as a clergy where, you know, the church thinks they're very welcoming. And overall, I mean, they are. I'm not saying, you know, the Mm -hmm. churches I've been in aren't. But sometimes we forget what it feels like to be that person walking in off the street for the first time. Mm -hmm. And we forget that, like, Oh wait! They don't know where things are, and they don't know our insider language. Mm-hmm. And um, in, in getting to know you over the past couple of years, and, and hearing your heart for the outsiders, I think this story probably has a, a deep thing to, you know, a part of that because you've experienced it and you've never forgotten that experience. So how can how can I, as somebody who's you know been a church insider and a church nerd for you know. <laughs> Most of my life too, right. help those outside the church feel welcomed and feel um, that they're accepted when they come into the church.
2: Well, I, I, in a sense, I feel like I, I should say I, I wish I knew better the answer to that question because I I don't know that um, I'm particularly good at it. It just th- this is brought. To my You're attention. aware of it at least, yeah, yeah. And I think maybe like the first step for any of us, the absolute. Bearman and basement ground floor is that sometimes we aren't even good at asking that question. Mm-hmm. And we just sort of assume like like we look at the situation of new faces in church and if the gut question we ask is, how do we verify that they're an acceptable person, clearly we're on the side of, oh, oh i 'm identifying with us insiders who are the safe people, mm-hmm. and when when even that 's not completely true, we have no idea what other you know who's yeah. who 's got what criminal record behind like so even that assumption, the people who we 've known all our lives who are good you know church going folks they 're the the safe people and mm-hmm. new people are the day like but on top of that, like we live in an era where church folks like to complain often about. Our churches aren't full like they used to be. And then the moment that we talk about, well, okay, what will invite people in or how can we encourage people, like, there's this gut reaction of, well, we don't want those people. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, wait a second here. Um, And so often what I think uh, we subconsciously mean is, what I want is more people who are exactly like me to subsidize the ministry that I already want to happen that looks exactly like it did Mm -hmm. however many years ago in whatever imaginary golden era there was once upon a time. Um, and if the question to ask is, if Christ is in the presence of the stranger, um, then how is Christ being received um, when someone new, sho- I mean, shows up on Sunday, or when when we find ourselves in other public places that aren't the church's territory, but we feel you see somebody who is. Uh, the one who's excluded or is, who is outside that nobody's hanging out with, or mm-hmm. talking with that, like even just that consciousness, that awareness of um, of their of their presence. I think is, is maybe a place to start. There's a there's a um, there's a, a, a piece from um, Dostoevsky's The Brothers Karamazov that sticks in my head. Um, I found a way to work it in. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know if you know this, this novel, but there's a piece where one of the characters has written a story that he calls the Grand Inquisitor. And he, in, in this story, he imagines back during the days of the Spanish Inquisition, um, uh, he imagines that Jesus comes back to visit medieval Europe uh, in Spain. And um, the person running the uh, Inquisition finds Jesus and arrests him, knowing full well he's Jesus, but decides we don't need you anymore. You're just a troublemaker if you show up. We've got a system. We've got a structure. We've got all the things in place. Mm-hmm. We don't want you here. And the, and the Inquisitor, knowing this is Jesus, arrests him and says, I'm going to have you burned at the stake tomorrow. The people will listen to me because we've set up a structure. We don't want you messing up the categories and the system mm. we've got anymore. And there's this beautiful way he ends it, if I remember right. It, it, uh, uh, that... Um, after the Inquisitor has finished his long speech, uh, and Jesus has just been silent through this whole thing, he says, you know, what are you going to do about all this? I've got this power. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring you to the stake tomorrow for being a heretic, for messing up the order that we, the institutional mm-hmm. church, have created for you. And Jesus comes up and kisses him on the lips, silently. And uh, the Inquisitor is so shaken by this that he doesn't respond with threats or bellowing or yelling, but with this kiss, he says, go your way and never come back again. And Jesus vanishes and disappears. Um... And I guess the the thing that haunts me about that story, even though it is now removed for me, both from the English to the Russian to the, the setting of the story in Spain, like how easily we keep replaying some version mm-hmm. of that story, um, and that we, if we decide that Jesus, uh, if he would show up in our midst, and he promises to show up, you know, like in places like I was hungry and you fed me, I was mm-hmm. thirsty, I was in prison, I was naked, I was the I was the stranger. Um, he promises to show up and yet how very easily we're like, but we don't want to mess up our carpet or, but we don't know mm-hmm. where he's from or we don't know. Um, and, but it will make such a mess or it will be too much on our budget to take care of hungry people. Now, these are the places where Jesus says, you want to know for sure where to show where I will show up. I've given you my social calendar. Here are the places that I promise to show mm-hmm. up. And in instead, so often our response in the face of those, uh, opportunities to meet Jesus is um, that it is too much of a threat to us because it messes up all the comfortable system that we set up. So I, I guess like that that's where I wrestle with it right now. Mm-hmm. And then maybe then that pushes me to a conversation we had in an earlier episode about just the importance of, of listening. That like mm-hmm. as long as I'm in my little bubble of people who are only like me, I will always have my suspicions or assumptions confirmed and patted on the back because I will only ever be talking to mm-hmm. people who already agree with me. But if I find myself like, maybe I need to be willing to risk being vulnerable and interact with people um, who are in different places and learn from them. Not with the assumption of, I'm here to get you to admit the places you're wrong and I'm right, Mm -hmm. but maybe I have something I need to learn from you. And at the very least, to start with, uh, I don't earn the right to speak until I listen, um, and then just let the listening go where it goes. That um, like I I I suspect Philip didn't expect the conversation with the Ethiopian eunuch to go the way it did. I I don't I don't think he was anticipating that day it was going to be you. And this isn't Philip the one of the apostles. This is one of the deacon guys who like had never met earthly Jesus, and like this is like second. Tier, like hadn't gone to seminary this guy hadn't been authorized to do any of this stuff and like we get really really antsy in our tradition now about somebody doing unauthorized baptism you would never you would never as a seminarian baptize somebody that's not ours to do <laughs> That you, we need to find the proper person wearing the proper stole lighting the proper number of candles um, and Philip does it when the question is put to him mm-hmm. what's to prevent it so I guess I think that that's at least where I start with this and and whether it's reading people who come from a different place or Working up the courage to sit and have a conversation and have a cup of coffee with somebody, um, and not let it be a token. Like, well, I talked to one person who was different from me once, and so now oh, I'm confirmed, I'm right, and moving on. But like that, we always have to be living in the margins because mm-hmm. that's where Jesus is. I, I don't, I don't say that as someone who thinks he's good at it, but at least I have a guess of like that's where Jesus is going to keep kicking me to go. <laughs> I don't know how, how does how, how do you see our challenge, Sarah, to um, welcome folks who are the who, who are made to feel especially like they're the outsider.
1: For me, it's the constant reminding of myself and my congregation that we are all children of God.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That there were certainly times in my growing up years I, I didn't realize that women could be pastors. Hmm. So, And I was actively told by family members that, oh, I once visited this church and a woman stood up to speak and I just walked out because... Clearly, this is not a Bible-believing church. And so that was my expectation, <laughs> that if I ever stood up to speak in church beyond just being a lector, that that's what was going to happen. Um, and, but that there are plenty of stories in the Bible where God uses the unexpected person, including women, mm-hmm. to speak the Word of God. Mm-hmm. And that that extends to others who might not be like me. Mm. Um, I certainly think that's true for um, our LGBT community brothers and sisters. Um, that God can use them. And God does use them to do God's work in the world. Um, and it's certainly true for you know, other cultures that are completely different than mine that God is present and mm-hmm. loves them too. And that that we should strive to be in community with them um, because they're our brothers and sisters. And just as I strive to have a relationship with my brother, uh, which isn't always easy because we live now halfway across the country from each other, and we didn't haven't always gotten along, but he's still my brother, and I mm-hmm. still love him. Just like the person, you know, in the pew that doesn't look like me, doesn't speak like me, doesn't think like me, they're also my brother and sister, mm-hmm. and they're part of God's family, mm-hmm. just like I am. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: It's, um, it's funny, as, as, I, as I look back on the experience in Mexico City, um, it occurs to me that any person sitting in that church could have easily said, um, why doesn't he speak our language, He's here in our country. How come he doesn't speak Spanish like all of us do? And then he would know. They would have read the fine print better. They would have known. And it occurs to me, like, well, my and my answer would be, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to intrude. I th- I happen to be here, and I hope it's okay. I hope there's room for me. And how easily we sort of do the flip where we are. That Like, whether it's church speak, mm-hmm. and like you say, sometimes... Church folks speak our own weird technical language, mm-hmm. whether it's the in-house institutional language of potlucks and committees or theological jargon. Um, or the or,
0: acronyms that make yeah, up the methodist church. The front of the hymnal and the back
2: <laughs> of the hymnal and the little numbers and the big, there's lots of ways we make it like a different language on top of the other language barriers that we add, too. And we can sometimes mm-hmm. be like, the only hymns that God hears are the ones in English. Well, you no, know, like English is a relatively recent innovation. For a long time it was Hebrew and Greek and, you know, mm-hmm. um... But there are lots of ways that we make these assumptions about um, the unacceptability of whoever the outsider is in whatever way. Like And like you said, there's so many ways that that outsiderness can happen. And if our gut reaction is finding ways to justify why we're right and they should have to accommodate us, that says mm-hmm. something about where we're landing on that mm-hmm. side of the divide, I guess. Mm-hmm. And if instead the practice is like, well, what's it like to be in that person's situation? And if If I don't immediately resonate, how can I learn? How can I Mm -hmm. learn from somebody so I can get what it's like to be where they are rather than me assuming something nefarious about why they're here I I probably look pretty shady sitting in the back (laughs) view of this church in Mexico City Uh, clearly didn't belong but I, I could imagine somebody being suspicious too and yet there was a welcome for me too. So I guess maybe for me that the the thing that sticks with me about this story, this lived experience is kinda of like a thorn. Um, like it always pokes at me of like what is it like to be the person who mm-hmm. is the the new face? What is it like to be the person who knows that it's not like to be not welcomed? What's it like to be shown something of genuine welcome even if there's a lot of other barriers in between.
0: You mentioned something there, Steve, about truth and being right and you know, how we we often think, you know, well, only English hymns and only the style of worship and all these things, and and I think of Jesus's ministry. If anybody had the right to say, "Well, I am right about this," <laughs> uh, it, it's kind of Jesus, right. <laughs> and yet he met people where they were, uh, and he took them in where they were, and he didn't tell them that you know, well, for you to get into heaven, you have to believe X, Y, and you know, mm-hmm. like he just met them right there, and eventually, you know, with the hopes that they would come to this realization, but. I think it's so important for us as as Christians, not just as pastors, to meet people where they're at and say, you know what, yeah, yeah. maybe we don't agree on everything, but let's work this out. Let's talk together. Let's, let's find some middle ground and and walk together so we can both find truth.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's the story of the time I crashed the Mexican <laughs> Well, cool. thank you, Steve. Thank you all. For, and thanks, everybody, for listening to this round of stories. Um, and we hope you'll uh, join us for a future adventure in podcast conversations here <laughs> on Crazy Faith Talk. See you all.
0: Bye. <laughs>